0: Welcome back everyone. My guest today is someone that I've been listening to on and off or mostly on for probably the better part of a decade and he would see some stats coming in from Australia on his podcast stats to let him know that there's people down here listening and that I'm one of them. So I'm here with travel journalist, blogger and the host of one of the best or in my opinion the best travel podcast of all time, the Amateur Traveller podcast, Chris Christensen. (laughs) Welcome to my old hands.
1: Well, thank you.
0: And I know, Chris, from having listened to him, that he probably, not the biggest fan of the massive overblown intro, but I think that that's about as fair an intro as you deserve, mate. So, there you go.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: (laughs) So, I wanted to start, Chris, maybe back before the podcast and the blog, around 2005-ish and prior to that. How was travel part of your life before you started writing and speaking about it? So
1: travel was something that I got a love from my parents, uh, although we didn't do international travel hardly at all. We did a couple trips up to Canada, but we did a lot of trips driving for thousands of miles around the west coast of the U.S. or the western United States to national parks, especially pulling a 14-foot travel trailer. And that's 14-foot is is rather generous because you're counting the hitch too, yeah. I think when you do that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I learned to love travel f- from them and then just continue to travel as an adult. Before we started the show, I was traveling with my kids. They were already, well, it, actually by the time we started the traveling the show, one of my kids was out of high school and was done travel with us. You know, it's like, I don't care if Europe has another cathedral. I don't need to see it. Yes. Um, he's, since relented. But <laughs> so we had done a fair amount of travel and started to do international travel again when my kids were, say, nine or 10
0: years old. So, with the family travel that you were doing around yep. the Western states of America, is there any particular, you mentioned some national parks and things like that. Are there any particular memories that really stand out, like one particular place or moment? That you could share with us, just about, just to give some context on what you actually saw as a younger person versus who you are now. So
1: one particular trip that stands out, I do do a moment and a trip. One particular trip is so our success for our trips are measured with an odometer. So we did a five thousand mile trip that included the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone's and Glacier National Park, Canadian Rockies. Uh, so that was a that was probably one of the best trips we did. Or we did the bicentennial trip. So 1976 the u.s celebrated 200 years we actually did that a year late because we were trying to avoid all the crowds and so we did about a thousand miles up and down the east coast seeing everything historic and i am a big fan of history and so that was a wonderful trip as well excellent in terms of moments though mm. <laughs> i remember uh, going to Lassen National Park, which is a volcanic – I think it's Lassen Volcanic National Park is the full name of it. It's an active volcano in the U.S. and California. And I was probably only about five years old at the time. And we were standing in front of mud pots in front of a boiling lake. And I think my brother turned to my parents and said, you know, Dad, could this ever be part of – could this ever become a volcano? He we said, well, I don't I don't really know. Maybe <laughs> I don't know who decided that that was a good moment to do some blasting up on the hill for a highway project. <laughs> but my parents said if they hadn't grabbed us, we would still be running to this
0: day. <laughs> that That is a classic. Oh, gosh. So maybe just moving forward, you have been making this incredible podcast for a long time, The Amateur Traveller, but I think we all know that making a show and releasing it in 2005, 2006. Slightly more difficult maybe than it is in 2023.
1: Slightly slightly more difficult, yeah. I was hand editing RSS feeds, uh, which are in XML, for those of you who don't know. They're not really meant to be written by people, but uh, that's what I was doing at first because that's what was available. I was hosting it when I started on my own computer on a 400 megahertz macintosh quadra computer in my office i think um so the first time that apple decided to apple podcast decided to highlight the show uh it literally (laughs) knocked my server right offline it did all but catch fire and so yeah i've been doing this for a while as you said Uh, july 2nd 2005 is the first episode of amateur traveler
0: Whenever I hear stories about the early days, particularly for people that maybe got an audience quickly, a lot of people that are maybe newer to making audio or video on the internet are like, oh, you're so lucky. You had a captive audience and there wasn't as much competition. But every person I know-
1: I had had both the uh, podcast listeners who were interested in travel listening to my show by that point. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The podcast was really small, right? So. You could have a large percentage and still a small number. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> but it did seem like even that small number, though, the technology was so rudimentary that any audience actually, if it was growing too fast, was not a, a positive. It was There's all these stories about, oh, my server went online or I had to change hosting 10 times to keep up and everything well, was on fire.
1: <laughs> fortunately, at that point, I was a VP of uh, Executive Vice President of Engineering and Operations for a a web company okay, <laughs> and so my boss quickly allowed me to put my podcast on on our servers yeah which had plenty of bandwidth we were doing things like live events for NBC ABC Disney so we had we had plenty of capacity and I did that until kind of hosting caught up with what was going on but <laughs> no but I remember probably nine months after I started I was getting two hundred downloads an episode or something like that. So you know they weren't they weren't big numbers yeah.
0: in those early years. So one thing I've always been fascinated about with people that have managed to have lots of other voices, either on their podcast or their radio show or their video show or whatever mm-hmm. is there wasn't thirty different ways to contact a person or find potential guests and contributors in <laughs> two thousand five. How were you finding people that you thought would bring value to your show when there's less chance of knowing, can they talk, can they tell a story, do they have anything to say? Were these other travellers you were meeting or other travel podcasters? Or
1: Well, so first of all, when I started the show, it was not an interview show. Mm. Uh, the first episodes of the show, the second one of which was recorded, by the way, uh, Australian Connection, in a parking garage in Sydney, Australia. <laughs> But, uh, you know, in in a rental car just for isolation from the sound that would be going on in the hotel room. But it was about my travels. But I was working full time. So I was traveling four weeks a year and podcasting 48 weeks a year. And, you know, that math does not work. (laughs) And so I was running out of travel stories. And I hadn't been to as many places at that point as I've been to now. I've been to, I don't know, five times, six times as many countries. Now, maybe 10 times as many countries. I'd have to go back and and count them up, but quite a few more at this point. So if you go back to the earliest episodes, which are going to be a little hard to find, you'll find that a lot of the people who I had on at first were friends. And so there were people that we would be having a conversation and they would tell me about what they were doing. And, you know, uh, Eric, who was teaching abroad in Czech Republic came on the show and Bernie, who is actually my manager, I'm still working with Bernie was the first interview on the show talking about his first cruise experience. And so, you know, you started with the people that you had and then eventually people started pitching me probably within the first year. Mm. In fact, I remember one of the best pitches I've ever gotten was when the, within the first two years of the show, someone who was a listener of the show said, I was just in Tonga and I was swimming with whales, and I brought a hydrophone along and recorded whale song. Is this something that would be of any interest? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yes, I think yes so. It would. <laughs> so I think when I first heard your name, Chris, it would have been maybe through Dave Jackson, potentially back in maybe oh, twenty sure. twenty thirteen. Yep. Okay. Or Elsie Escobar, one of the two at the time when I was first investigating how I could maybe, you know, grow my show and get a little bit better myself. And I think I just started listening from then. I didn't go back quite as much because you already had so much (laughs) catalog. I was like, oh gosh, I could just get lost forever in that. But I think I rediscovered the show and some of the back catalog when I searched Newfoundland in Canada and I found an episode that you'd done from that and then I started working my way forward. (laughs) mostly because I'm completely fascinated with Canada. And I understand if you guys were doing an odometer rating on your trips while you went to Canada first, just to clock up those miles. But I'm assuming because you've got just such a wealth of content through that back catalogue, that when you're getting feedback from people, it could be from things that you haven't – were released a decade ago or more than a decade ago. and then In those moments, if you really want to give someone a detailed answer – or even any kind of answer, do you have to go back and listen to a bit of it, or have you got notes, or how do you handle, because your catalogue is so, so no, big. No, I've
1: never had to go back and listen to a show to give someone an answer, but often it's the kind of feedback I get is, hey, I was just listening to that show, and you got this wrong, or hey, I thought you'd be interested in an update, or we just went there and thanks for That episode, it really helped us plan our trip. It doesn't tend to be, you know, a trivia question or something you need to do studying for. I also tend to have a fairly retentive memory. So, you know, but 18 years is a long time.
0: (laughs) I have noticed your incredible memory, you know, in my listening for detail. I guess more specifically, the type of questions I was thinking you might get are would you still recommend that? Path of travel, or would you still recommend the things that your guest mentioned versus maybe other things you've experienced yourself having been to those places?
1: Don't tend to get that question. For one thing, what I'm really doing most of the time, as you said, is bringing someone else's recommendation. Mm. So at least half the shows, I don't know what percentage of the shows, it's got to be more than that. I haven't been to the destination, right? I've never been there, or I've been there since we did that episode because i was inspired to go there so (laughs) i'm not necessarily the expert and so quite often people are saying i've got a question for eric who is doing that episode can you can you send through my email or send me his email or something like that and that's more appropriate given that they were the expert i
0: brought on so one thing and it's probably over my time listening to your show and just following you in different places and I don't want to use a cliched radio. Not, bit. not in a creepy way. Of <laughs> no, that <I> no. <laughs> no, <Okay>. no. <laughs> There's, and I say it a lot in the Australian radio business, and it's just for the lack of a better expression you have a generosity of spirit with your guests that you really allow them to take your platform essentially for an episode or even multiples, <laughs> if it's things like the World Heritage sites, and you're freely allowing them to lay out what they you feel know, about if- a place.
1: The funny thing is I had a radio consultant, someone who is a terrestrial radio consultant, contact me and tell me I was doing it all wrong because the way you should be doing it, he said, is it's got to be much more about you. You know, you're the you're the personality. It's got to be about you. You've got to talk more. You shouldn't go for more than two minutes without, you know, taking control of the conversation yeah, that is not what I do. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> for me, it's not about me. It's not even about my guest. It's about your trip, yeah. right? Can we give you information that is useful for you for your trip? Which means that sometimes I turn down very interesting pitches, but pitches that no one else wants to do that trip, yep. right? We're not talking about, you know, I've had people pitch me, hey, I just rode a skateboard across the United States. You know, wouldn't you love to have me on your show? It's like, mm. No. Yep. Because no one else wants to do that trip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, three other people want to do that trip. So we tend to focus on practical trips and we tend to focus on what you can do. But that also means we're not focusing on me.
0: <laughs> one thing you do as well as anyone that I've listened to is your interjections. Are, well, they're always polite and well-timed. But <laughs> that but you, 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 is not the feedback. <laughs> really that well kid, i think i think that they I are definitely because... have
1: gotten feedback that i am you know I, it's a mixture obviously yep. there's people who love the show people who are not just fans but supportive and you know wonderful listeners i've been on trips with them things like that but you know some of the reviews are definitely you are way too sarcastic you're so rude okay uh, because you correct somebody and you you know, it's it's true that there are times that I need to say, "Hang on a second, clarification." Yeah. It will clarify, but so there's sometimes I need to correct. I oh, okay. I yeah. did have a guest who said that when we were talking about Chicago, that you know, underneath the field in this university in Chicago is where they blew up the first atomic bomb, and that is not true. It turns <laughs> out that is where they had the first nuclear pile. Yeah, and okay. they're subtly different, but very important. If you happen to live anywhere near that university, yes. And so I, you know, will correct things occasionally, and sometimes I'll edit things out. It just kind of depends on the conversation. Yeah. But I definitely have had people who who find that incredibly rude. Okay. So, they're not my listeners,
0: obviously. S- some <laughs> context from a generally shy Australian person, and we uh, are <laughs> we are. Uh, very put off by any kind of rudeness as a culture. I don't know, you may be aware of this, that rudeness or forthrightness can sometimes put us a bit on edge. We'd prefer you kind of came at a comment sideways. (laughs) I actually appreciate that you don't let it get four or five, lots of clarification or lack thereof down the track and then you go back, oh, can we clarify this and then this and then this and then this and it feels like a listicle. You're just pulling people up as you go. And I think it helps because- for example, going back to the Newfoundland expedition, there was a few times where the guest was, and she was amazing, and it makes me want to go there even more, but she jumped from coast to coast a couple of times and south to north and over a part of the island. And it kind sure. of, if, if you were trying to map that out in your head, think, oh, well, that's a sensible path, she was just going off enthusiasm and excitement at different times. Sure. Yeah. And I don't think that that's rudeness at all. That's just helping people that can't see what's happening map it out in their head.
1: right now the times will clarify that now you're 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 in the west again okay yeah
0: yeah so i mean well
1: it's so hard because everyone you know hopefully everyone i have come on knows the destination that they're doing very well and and then it's hard when we know something really well to think about what people don't know and that's really my role as the as the host we just i'm editing a show right now on long island and my guest would say you know down near fire island and wouldn't provide the context of Fire Island is a barrier island off you know or or how far it is from here to there or whatever so so I'll just pause and make sure that people understand that who aren't looking at a map because most people are listening to this while they're in the car or walking the dog or whatever so I don't assume that they're doing the same kind of active listening that I'm doing
0: and it's fascinating that this topic's come up because I wasn't even remotely thinking we would talk about something about the show like this. But one thing that I have noticed, and if we use a book that's contentious in the travel space, maybe like Vagabonding, because I can see that it's got thousands and thousands of reviews from people, they say one of two things. This is too esoteric and heartfelt and poetic at times. Like it's not, It's not practical and helpful enough. And then the complete opposite review will be right below it on Audible or Amazon and it will say, this is just a guidebook repackaged. This is just a step-by-step how to prepare (laughs) for a trip. So, how do you as someone that has a sizable and loyal audience, and I'm assuming in travel, there's also some churn element because people want to find out about one specific location or country. How do you get that balance right of, we want this to be practical and helpful but we also want it to make travel exciting and not feel like an obligation to people that it's just a list to check off is that a hard balance i guess is what i'm getting at
1: well you know you you tell me <laughs> that's that's obviously in the the eyes of the listener or the ears of the listener in this case but my, what i'm trying to do <laughs> which is really all i can tell you is i'm trying to even if we're talking about so, we did a show on Central Australia yes, recently. that was awesome. I, I want to go to Central Australia now, even more than I did before. Mm. But we did talk about the flies. We yeah. did talk about the heat, right? Because there are flies and there is heat. But we invited someone, you know, I invited someone who loved it, right? Who mm. has been back multiple times, who I think has a contagious Love for the destination. I think that is a consistent theme. We did one episode of the show that I can think of that was a misadventure, a misadventure in Siberia. Uh, and it was not something that I found I really want to do so much. I'd rather have someone telling me that they love this destination. You'll love it too, but you should know these things. than talk about all of the things that went wrong on a trip. That's just not what we do. So I did it that one time. I was like, no, I don't need to do that again.
0: Yeah, because for the lack of, once again, a better term, it's not disaster kind of travel porn for the lack of a better term. And it's also not a travel brochure.
1: No, no, it's not that. Yeah, One of my rules is I don't have on (laughs) PR people. Yes, which uh, I deeply appreciate as a a listener. (laughs) I I have people on who loved it, but I don't have people on who were paid to tell me they loved it.
0: Yes, which is- Gives it a real sense of this is what you'll experience more likely right. or not as an actual traveler. So.
1: Right. Well, it's also harder for the PR person when I'm asking, you know, what restaurant we should go to and they've got uh, 20 different people that they're going to offend yes. if they name this one.
0: They've got stakeholders. It's just,
1: yeah, it's just harder <laughs> for them to do that that format. So I've had a couple on who I knew already and I knew could, could be straightforward, but as a rule, I don't.
0: I think this makes me think of an episode of my favourite travel thing, I guess, Mm -hmm. piece of media or content. I hate the word content. I might call it that or whatever you would like to call it. It's a show called Departures and it was by three Canadian gentlemen in about 2008 to 2010. And they went to Ascension Island and had a very complicated- trip with some things that were happening back at home with relationships and also the fact that they couldn't get money there and that nothing was open and they were up on the top of a mountain in this building that they were staying in and it took forever to get back down to the town and then things kept not being open at, at all when they went there. And I think it's the one episode that stands out to me because through all of that, what you could see is complication. They still look like they're having the time of their lives. And it was almost the adversity of some of those moments Hmm. That built the not just the suspense for the episode itself, but you could tell that they were memories because I've spoken to Scott, the main host, and he said that's one right. of the that's one of the episodes that people reference the most, and it's some of the most endearing memories they have from anywhere that they went was because there was challenges. It wasn't just smooth sailing like they were sitting on a beach at a resort.
1: <laughs> well, and we. We, while I don't do that format, one of my favorite episodes of Anthony, the late Anthony Bourdain show, or one of his shows, I guess he had a couple of different ones, was the show he did on Lebanon. It was quite memorable, mm. but, it, but it's not the show we do.
0: <laughs> no, no. And not every show has to go into that level of... Right, right. I think that sometimes... We confuse transparency and authenticity. Not everyone has to be that transparent about everything to still be authentic, right. and that's what you do. You're authentically interested in the guest stories about a place, not so much about building an itinerary that people can reference later, which that's probably, honestly, Chris, my favourite thing about your show, is that some places, obviously, we only have so much time. We can't go everywhere. Right. I yep. feel like I have travelled in my mind to some places that i may not have in my list of that i'm definitely going there in my lifetime
1: oh i i definitely have shows that i listen to and think that was a great show yeah i'm not going there yeah. <laughs> which is great <laughs> that, I mean. that place is not for me yeah. and And that's okay. And I'm sure that my listeners will have that as well. I definitely have people who say, well, you've got to do more domestic destinations because that's what I'm interested in, or you have to do more exotic destinations because that's where, you know, there's a variety of interests, especially in a a fairly generic category, where I'm not doing just RV travel or not doing just beach travel or not doing, you know, just Australia travel or something like (laughs) that. You can't like every episode. Or you might like every episode, but you can't like every
0: destination necessarily. Yeah. So this is great that we've gone here because someone like yourself that's built a great audience and maintained that and have this fantastic show that's managed to survive and thrive all these years, what stock do you put in feedback from your audience versus your own instincts? And take that question however you'd like. I'm not looking for you to throw anyone under the bus necessarily, but- as someone that knows how to do it how do you take those specific bits of feedback you need to be doing this
1: i listen to feedback but <laughs> i definitely am set in my ways at this point there's there's no question about that but i mean you think about it sometimes i'll get the pitch for instance that i know you've done the same thing for 18 years but for one episode you should do something very very different mm. it's like that's not what I do. Yeah. I've made a decision. I like what I'm doing. Some people are finding it useful. What you're saying is probably a great pitch. It's just not my pitch. Yeah, and I mean, and we'll get the same thing from you know people. Do I try and be less sarcastic uh, after people you know write me and tell me I'm s- sarcastic or review the show and and say that I could try? <laughs> yeah, but. There's some things you can't change about yourself when you're, you know, at, at my age uh, of 62. Yes. You're, you're a little set in your ways. <laughs>
0: yes, well, firstly, we're on video here for everyone that's only been able to hear this audio. You're a very young 62, so let's get that out of the way. Well, thank you, thank but you. <laughs> also, an expression like set in my ways, at least in the Australian culture, that might be seen as almost pejorative. But to me, it feels like you're just confident in what you've done and the format you've established and the fact that you like it. Like, I like this, so as much as I appreciate the feedback, I'm going to keep doing this because it's what I feel I'm good at and I like it.
1: (laughs) Well, honestly, I think about there are things that people are recommending that I like the idea, but they're just not for this show. And when I retire, which is coming up sooner rather than later, Will I start another travel show with a different format? I thought about it. Because I, for 10 years, I did This Week in Travel yes. with Gary Arndt and Jen lee Sorry, I should, have and...
0: men- I should have mentioned that. I'm sorry. That's another no, that's great one okay. I listened to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's all right. We stopped, or I stopped uh, participating in that in 2019, 10 years in. Uh, no, 2020, during the during the pandemic. And then they carried on for, I think, about six months before they stopped the show. I liked that discussion of travel part of that show we also did a news portion which i don't think i would do because it it locks you in it to a current date and that makes it much more dated very quickly but i did like the you know hey one week we're talking about budget travel in europe and the next week we're talking about train travel and and that sort of topical approach it's a different type of show but i would also enjoy doing that show too So, you know, while I eventually do get back to doing four podcasts like I was doing at one time, it could
0: happen. Well, as long as they're four good ones, I think go for it. So (laughs) before we get off the podcast itself, once again, for everyone listening, the Amateur Traveler, was Gary the guest that came on regularly on the Amateur Traveler to talk about the World Heritage Sites? Was that Gary? Yeah. Yeah, that's Gary. Incredible episodes. And it would probably be other than a specific country or destination you're interested in, if you wanted to hear a collection of incredible encapsulations of these amazing places, I think those Gary episodes are probably a good starting point for people that maybe want to dive into your massive catalogue.
1: <laughs> could. could be, um, Actually, I usually recommend what destination are you interested in? Yeah. That's where you dive in. Yeah. And I've had people that, you know, discovered the show that way. I, you know, I wanted to go to Azerbaijan. <laughs> you were it. <laughs> so, yes. So- but yeah, if you're if, – I've gotten to the point where I tell people if if we don't have an episode on the destination you're thinking about, you probably don't need to go. Yes, <laughs> so it has reached that point. <laughs> it's, it's not really true because I know there are holes it, and there are people pitching me. I just had a pitch this week that I've been trying to get somebody to come and talk about the Channel Islands between England and France. Okay. for years and had somebody finally pitch me Jersey okay. and it's like, yes, yes.
0: Hey legends, super quick. If you're wondering where you can find any of the things that are mentioned in today's episode, head on over to myoldhands.com and you'll find it all there. Okay, let's jump back into the conversation. So, I wanted to talk about less maybe what you've created, Chris, and maybe more about yourself for a second. How do you maintain an enthusiasm and an interest for your personal travels when there's this thing in the background of I create blogs and travel journalism and the podcast about travel? Can you separate them? Because I know Scott from Departures, he finds it very hard now not to see everything through the creator lens when he's traveling.
1: I definitely see that it's everything through <laughs> the creative creator lens. I, there are few times that I'm traveling and it's just a vacation, meaning I'm not worrying about, am I going to write a blog post about it eventually? Am I, um, and I'm not, well, I'm always taking pictures because it's one of my creative outlets. I, yes. I've always enjoyed taking pictures of destinations before I became a blogger and podcaster. And I suspect I will after I eventually give that up or, or maybe I'll give up travel before then, but I don't find it. It's odd. I don't find it difficult to enjoy my travel and still be a content creator mm. that I think of just last May, for instance, I was offered a wonderful opportunity to do a yacht cruise around the coast of the peloponnese and did a podcast episode on that and did you know some blogging on that as well you can go back to amateur traveler and find those but it was work right because i basically was had an agreement that i would do at least one blog post and i would do at least one podcast about this destination that i would you know put information on instagram and things like that And so that's, for my wife, it was a vacation. For the friends who came with me, it was a vacation. And for me, it was a vacation, (laughs) but also a work trip.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: And I remember having a plan that as we're in the yacht, as we're in the catamaran and we're sailing uh, around the Peloponnese, we're going to sail for about three hours a day. And the plan that I came up with, which was pretty much what I did was, OK, for one of those three hours, I'm going to just be sitting on deck, just enjoying that I'm on a boat because I just truly love that. And we were sailing in a beautiful region. And so I'm going to just take some time that I'm going to be not even worrying about taking too many pictures. I'm just going to be enjoying it. And then I'm going to take another hour of those three hours and I'm going to be re- working on a blog post because I've got work that has to get done. I'm going to be editing photos and doing all those things that have to be done. And then I think I took the the third hour and napped, but <laughs> because <laughs> I work full time and then do two regular blogs and two regular podcasts, every, you know, pretty much the podcasts are every week. The blogs are as much as I can. And so, by the time I go on vacation, I'm pretty exhausted. Yes. <laughs> so it is um, It is a challenge.
0: And I think there's a danger in framing the question that I asked Chris is that there is a trade-off or one way to view it's worse than another, that you can't be a documentarian, even just personally, document a trip and enjoy it as much as someone that's not in that mindset. So I hope I didn't present that as though one way oh, no, is no. superior. I, I
1: don't. I don't see that as the, so what I know from, for instance, I have a number of friends who've been nomads for, you know, up to 10 years, 10 years tends to be when most people hit the wall sometime by that point. And what they found with content creation was that they couldn't travel and create content that they really had to stop periodically and catch up. Mm. And I completely understand that My life is currently just way too busy for that. You know, when you combine the full-time job and then all of the other part-time job on top of that, there are very few weeks that I take off. And so even if I'm traveling, I am quite possibly working on a blog post at the same time. Not necessarily even the one on (laughs) the destination I'm at. I may be catching up with one that I owe Myself, or that I owe somebody else, you know, from before then. So it is a challenge. It is absolutely a challenge.
0: It's just fascinating. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so in your community, and this brings up one last question I have, and it's something I've always wondered. There seems to be a playfulness around, like between people I've seen interact, of, oh, yeah, that, that stuff sounds really cool, but you really should come to my hometown because we have this and this <laughs> and this. And that must be kind of like enjoyable to see people actually talking in amongst themselves. Sometimes, I mean, and not not that these conversations are happening on every platform all day every day, right, right. but I have seen those little interactions of oh, this that was fantastic, but you probably could have gone sideways to here and then to there. And
1: like, there are so many wonderful places to go. Uh, that's that is my current belief and attitude. Is I've enjoyed. People say, "Well, what have you not enjoyed?" And I, I'm stumped by that question, honestly. So, Except for Rock Springs, Wyoming, which was a little <laughs> creepy. But other than that, every other place I've been, but <laughs> I, I just you know there are places that I love more in yeah. in every state. Yes. In and I've been to all the states in the U.S. and you know are working my way through
0: countries. But excellent. So one last and very selfish question. Will there be another (laughs) Newfoundland, Canada episode at all in the future, just for Josh?
1: Yes, actually within the next month. Oh, (laughs) okay. Well, that's (laughs) unbelievable. I'm I'm currently scheduling, and I don't know if we've quite picked a date yet, but Chris Marshall, who was on the show most recently... Doing a show on Istanbul, he, well, I think actually his his wife uh, may be leading the episode they were doing. She's at least the one I'm courting with, or it might be both of them, because yep. they spent a month in Newfoundland and Labrador yep. uh, last summer, because they're Canadians. And yes. so they're going to come on the show and talk about the, what they would recommend
0: there. Well, that's amazing, because 2025, middle of the year, because I don't know now that I'm older, I'm built for the Canadian winter I'm going to be going there (laughs) as close to their summer as possible. It's on my, it's the next place that I'm going to be traveling overseas. So I'm excited to hear that. (laughs) So what's coming up on the amateur traveler other than the Newfoundland stuff?
1: Oh gosh. I'm right at the point where I'm trying to catch up on, on episodes. (laughs) I might or might not do an episode on Malta, which I was just there because I told people I wasn't going to, and I played a repeat. So I don't know that I'm going to do that or not, but I've got one coming up on Croatia, on Eastern Ireland, on the Bahamas, on Hokkaido, the northernmost island in Japan. And next week's show is on Long Island off the coast of
0: New York. That sounds incredible. I've heard from New York
1: City. Sorry, <laughs> part of the <laughs>
0: I've heard many, many people from many, many different places say that Croatia is so breathtakingly beautiful that it's hard to conceptualize until you go there. So
1: it's, I love Croatia. Yeah. Um, I don't don't just go to Croatia and that region. Yeah. Slo- Slovakia, sorry, Slovenia and Bosnia and Herzegovina are also worth seeing and a lot of people skip those. Okay. But Croatia is amazing. Excellent. Croatia is really amazing.
0: Okay, so just want to let us know where we can find you online, Chris, what the website is. And yeah, well, thank you so much for joining me. It's amazing. It's just Always blows me away that I get to talk to people that I've had in my in my ears and in my mind for 10 years sometimes, <laughs> and they're real people. Like, this is happening in real time on this planet. Oh, yeah. It's it's happening. So,
1: so yeah, you can find me at amateurtraveler.com. Be aware that in the U.S. we spell traveler with one L yes. instead of two. Yep. Uh, if you're coming to us from someplace that speak, still speaks the uh, king's English. And uh, mostly, that's where you can find all my contact information on Amateur Traveler.
0: Okay. Very good. Well, thank you, Chris. Thanks so much for making the time. And yeah, I'll be checking out that Newfoundland stuff for sure.
1: Excellent.